fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienna. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about losing your best friend with my friend Vienna. <laughs> Sad. A real tragedy. <laughs> it's it's so heartbreaking when that happens, you know? I can't wait for the Ezra Levant and Jason Kenney um, friend breakup Disney movie. <laughs> it's it's going to be moving, you know? Or would they go? What, what was the company that made that Bigfoot film that they were all uh, Fuck. mad about? <laughs> I don't know the oil dis- industry. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, how are you, Vienna? Mm, I'm okay. A third of my workplace has COVID, so that's fun. And and masks are no longer mandatory, so it's great. Just wonderful times we're having. Love to live in this time period, you know. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. It, it is weird. We did send our son to school with a mask, uh, but it was weird seeing uh, about half the kids coming and going from the school when I dropped them off were, were wearing a mask and half weren't. And then I stopped by at the, uh, the store and the people working at the store were not wearing masks. And I was just like, this is weird. <laughs> weird oh. and unnerving. Uh, I don't yeah. know how it's all going to go, but uh, I, I should say, to I mean, we're going to touch a little bit on masks in today's episode, but I will say, please still wear a mask when you can. Uh, probably a good idea. And if you haven't been vaccinated yet, you're still listening to our show. I, I don't know why you would be listening to our show, <laughs> but if you haven't been vaccinated yet, go get vaccinated. Probably a good idea. If they listen to us and they're not. I'm going to guess it's not available in your area, in which case I hope it is soon. Well, yes, I mean, like, reasonable uh, uh, excuses aside, you know, <laughs> if you're allergic yeah, to yeah. vaccines, if you're immunocompromised, like, what, for whatever reason, if you have a legit reason of not getting vaxxed, fine. If you're just like, well, I don't want to, go get it. <laughs> uh, if you have been vaxxed, uh, I think you should go get at least another three shots um just to like overdo it for those who are actually unable to as well indeed we're maxing out on vaccines i've got a whole cupboard full of them so i just every night i (laughs) you know every morning i take three out of the freezer uh i take one right away i let the other two thaw for a bit um once you hear that rooster you got a booster (laughs) (laughs) hello my rebels hello my rebels i'm a good boy i'm a weirdo this episode we cover the week of march 14th to march 18th and on the 14th we're going to talk about some Archer Pawlowski. Pawlowski? I don't really care how his name's pronounced, to be honest. <laughs> Shorty, you're Polish. You should be able to get this one right. <laughs> Listen, I'm so far removed uh, from the ancestors who originated in Poland that uh, all, I, all I know is that pierogies taste lovely and are easy to make. And, we uh, need it. 
we need more Patreon supporters so that we can send Jody on a birthright trip to Poland. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gotten word that they're pretty white nationalists at the moment, so I don't know if I want to go do that. Or Embrace your I- rich, Jody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But anyways, my, my fellow Pole is in prison right now, and Ezra is super upset about it. Ezra wonders why uh, Artur is still in prison if this pandemic is over. Uh, and Ezra thinks the pandemic is over because we're lifting the restrictions, even though we've documented throughout this entire pandemic many o- occasions where Ezra has claimed the pandemic is over. But I guess now Ezra thinks it is officially over because we're lifting restrictions. So that's good. As we discussed with the Tamara Lich case, uh, uh, bail, uh, so Tamara was denied bail. She was the one, one of the people who organized the truck convoy. And she was denied bail initially. I think she's been let out now. But she was denied initially because of the likelihood that she would reoffend. And that is the same with Arthur right now. So <laughs> uh, we, we've covered this on a previous episode, but Arthur has like breached court orders like so many times. Like, I found it difficult to calculate the number of times that he's breached the court orders. So it's like, like I think he's on his like sixth arrest at this point. So yeah, like we're ju- definitely in the double digits of like breaking court orders. So yeah, so I mean Ezra's upset that okay the panda. So the things that were in place that like led to Arthur being charged in the first place. Those might be going, but the court is like, you've you've shown enough disdain for the rule of law in this country that we're going to deny you bail. But uh, Ezra does not get that. And and just to be crystal clear, the judge literally said uh, that we're denying him bail because he will not follow court orders. <laughs> so... <laughs> Which, like, who could blame the judge? I think the judge might actually be correct at this point, you know? And, as we occasionally mention, Ezra has a fucking law degree. (laughs) (laughs) He should be able to understand the very basics. Yeah, but it's selective. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and, And let's be real, he was not, he didn't even practice law for that long. He went from, like, law degree straight to politics, so. Mm-hmm. So during the press conference, Jason Kenny, Ezra's best friend, says that Arthur is being denied bail because he was allegedly inciting violence at the Coots border crossing. And then Kenny says that this is basically just a standard legal case that will have to be worked out in the courts, so he's basically telling the reporter, why are you asking me this? <laughs> I'm the premier, I'm not the, the judge. And Ezra gets really heated after listening to this and suggests that this is not standard and that Arthur is actually being targeted for political reasons. Although it's not like, it's not clear to me like what those political reasons are except for like the, the COVID police. <laughs> Cracking, cracking down on the people who are standing up for freedoms or something. But uh, apparently they're targeting them specifically for political reasons. Yeah. And, you know, 
wouldn't it be more concerning if Jason Kenny was like, oh, yes, I'm going to weigh in on this legal case and therefore influence the outcome of anything because I am the leader of this fucking province for another, like, couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he did somewhat weigh in. I mean, this part was complicated to me because Kenny did say that he incited violence or was alleged to have incited violence at the Coots uh, road blockade. And remember, mm -hmm. that's the same blockade where all the weapon stash was. So I guess before those arrests and before the blockade ended at Coots, Arthur went to the sort of like bar that was near the, the blockade. Because again, the town is like, is pretty much the border. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's not like, uh, so the, the truckers were meeting at this like, pub nearby or restaurant where they would have their like meetings with the lawyers and the RCMP and all this stuff. So Arthur came to that and gave some sort of speech and we're going to hear some of that in a bit. But I guess Kenny said that he, he incited violence at the thing, but the, at, at Coots, but, and we will, we will assess that in a minute after listening to some of the clips, but he's not actually being charged for incitement. The only thing that's happening here is that, when he was denied bail, the prosecutor used as a like as a an argument to the judge because again the judge wasn't like adjudicating adjudicating anything. He was just like, "Hey, judge, we can't let him out on bail because when he was out, he was inciting violence at Coots." Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's directly related to any of the charges. It was just used as an argument by the prosecution so that he would be denied bail. So when Kenny says this, like, that's that's sort of what he's, like, reflecting on. Although, like, it makes it sound like, our, I like, n not that I think Kenny did anything really, like, wrong here. It's just, it made me think that it sounds like you're saying he's charged with inciting violence. But that's not at all what he's being charged for. And, of yeah. course, Ezra makes it out like, Kenny, Kenny <laughs> is telling us that Arthur incited violence? Uh, so, anyways, I'm going to play the clip of, uh, of, uh, of Kenny, and then Ezra's sort of response to this. I would just suggest that going to a very tense combustible situation and uh, inciting people to be willing to die and commit acts of violence uh, for their cause is uh, um, very likely to have legal consequences. Does that sound like Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky to you? You know, I probably listened cumulatively to 25 hours of Arthur Pavlovsky through the course of my life. That's a lot of Arthur. And I have never once heard him counsel violence. Never once. Uh, I mean, he raises his voice, that's for sure. He can marshal the language and direct words of at someone harshly, that's for sure. Words, but inciting violence i've never heard of it so right <laughs> right after this clip he plays this clip he loves playing of arthur which was one of the first clips i ever heard of arthur on uh ezra's show which is him telling the police to get out of his church when he was initially ticketed and it's just a clip of him yelling get out get out like over and over again and <laughs> and i think at some point he calls the police gestapo but uh either way he Ezra loves that clip and he's he plays it all the time. It's just uh it's just shouty and I don't care to play it. 
thank you. But it's also just like okay, Mister. There, I've never met a Nazi, yeah. <laughs> Ezra. Like, sure, you're believable on anything about what people think or say. I realized too that he was setting some arbitrary thresh, like arbitrary threshold. But like, I've never heard anyone say something like cumulatively. I've only listened to twenty five hours of my friend. <laughs> I'm like, how would you do that math? And I'm like, for one, like, you're representing to it. Like, he keeps talking as if he's been friends with Arthur for years. And yet he said he cumulatively, he's only listened to 25 hours of him? That seems weird to me. Like, maybe if he's talking about speeches that Arthur has given? I would assume speeches. That's what the context felt like. I suppose. Or like sermons or what have you. Possibly. So, the the speech in particular that's being talked about here, it is a 19-minute speech. Ezra, in his episode, does not play the entire speech. We're not going to play the entire speech. But, uh, Ezra, Ezra frames it by making sure he's like, uh, like he says, I did not leave out anything that is uh, inciting violence. Okay, so he makes that claim. And then he plays specifically two clips. Now, I'm not even really going to play uh, those clips, but there, there is, like, there, how do I say that? Like, it, Archer engages in kind of like what we talk about, which is like this sto- stochastic violence, in that mm-hmm. he, he, like, walks you right to the line and then throws out something like, well, peacefully, of course. It, we'll be peaceful. But then it's like... That kind of like uh, removes. <laughs> it's like there's like we gotta fight back. We gotta do everything that we can. We gotta make a stand peacefully. Like <laughs> it's it's the right wing equivalent of the like in Minecraft yeah. meme on Twitter and stuff where it's like yeah yeah I want to guillotine the rich in Minecraft or like I want to guillotine the rich peacefully though and. The thing is, like, I agree some of them, like, you could see that Arthur is, like, somewhat trying to, like, make it out to be that he really means peacefully. But there's a sense in which, like, just throwing in that you're going to do it peacefully, like, doesn't necessarily work as a defense. And there's even, like, cases where that doesn't get used as a defense because it's the same thing of, like, uh, like the obvious example is like the mafia example, right? You know, with someone who's like, "Nice business you got there. Be ashamed if anything happens to it," right? And then you like, then you argue in court. Well, the mafia boss didn't actually say he was going to ruin the business, but it's like we know that that's extortion. <laughs> Do we though, Jody? <laughs> so, like, the the point being is like. If things came of what Arthur was saying, he still possibly could have been liable for that, right? Uh, poss- I say possibly because it would have to be adjudicated like everything else within the courts. But, like, the excuse of him, well, well he said peacefully, is not uh, is not an excuse, is basically what I'm trying to say. I did want to play the one, so that's that's what Ezra plays, that's sort of like his clips. They're not worth playing, they're a bit long. But I found one clip that I think really is uh, 
kind of indicative of something violent, and it's also the one that was cited by the prosecution during his bail hearing. So this is what they claim to be Arthur uh, inciting violence. They're coming here with their badges and they're telling you that they represent the law. No, they're representing, they represent lawlessness. They are gangsters for the biggest mafia that there is, Kenny's mafia. And it's up to you now, for the first time in two years, to rise up, to stand up, and to hold the fort. And if this is our Alamo, so be it. And there was no calls to, like, do it peacefully. Like, this is our, this is our Alamo, so be it. Like, what, what do you mean by that, Arthur? What Arthur happened means, at Alamo? <laughs> Arthur, Arthur means that they're going to all hold up in a fort in a land that they invaded and defend slavery till they die. <laughs> <laughs> Just the like being, the Alamo. <laughs> Alamo went out in a blaze of gunfire, all right? On both sides. <laughs> okay? So, yes... That was used in court to suggest that he incited violence. And I think they might have a case here, you know, at least in terms yeah. of denying the bail. Like he hasn't been charged for inciting violence. But remember, this is the same place where it was found that a bunch of right wing like assholes were stashing a bunch of weapons so, with plans to kill cops. OK, so uh, I don't know. Fill, fill in the blanks. Everyone who's listening. So be it. This will be our Alamo. So when Ezra says that uh, Arthur, does, you'll just have to trust him that in the 19 minutes, Arthur didn't actually incite any violence. Uh, don't take his word for it. <laughs> Ezra then, so the theme that I want to get for this show as well is the, I guess the the, the breakdown of the relationship between best friends, uh, Jason Kenny. And Ezra Levant. And so the next clip I'm going to play is Ezra gets a bit heightened about how what, what is happening to Arthur is not normal. And then uh, see how he, he deals with that in relation uh, to Jason Kenny. Things aren't back to normal in Alberta. It is not normal to keep a Christian pastor in prison because of a health order. And it is not just part of a normal rule of law system that keeps hounding Arthur again and again and following him with <laughs> SWAT team. Sorry, that's not normal. Those are political instructions issued by the premier to the health minister, which then instructs a special health prosecutor to go after Arthur. There's nothing normal about it. Now, they've been doing this for two years. You saw that first instance. They haven't stopped. Jason Kenny jails Christian pastors. Pass it on. <laughs> Did you add the music? No, that was the end of the segment. <laughs> what? That's how we ended the segment on the first on the first day. Jason Kenny jails Christian pastors. Pass it on. <laughs> so he's a bit angry at Jason. <laughs> Who who are you going to pass it on to? <laughs> I'm going to pass it on to Mr. Kenny himself. Oh my god.
Now again, like, frankly, Jason Kenny wasn't doing it. It was the health orders, but the health orders were there because there was a pandemic. Like, Arthur refused to obey any of the health mandates. That's them the ropes. Like, it, it's amazing to me that, like, it, what, it, what it inevitably boils down to, because Ezra makes it about the bureaucracy and how the laws are somehow illegal because it was health bureaucrats or whatever. Like, all that shit aside, it's like, there's tons of laws that are in place, regulations and stuff like this, that Ezra isn't currently breaking, that were done through the same, like, processes. And yet, for whatever reason, it's the mandate that they're taking, or the, the COVID policies that he's taking a stand on. Because they're COVID denialists, at the end of the day, you know? They don't believe the pandemic is real, and they don't believe that any of the things that were done were were helpful in, in alleviating harms uh, of the virus they're disease denialists it's just how it goes yep so we're going to take just a slight uh detour although it's kind of related to covid uh because something weird happened in the mailbag segment now are are you aware or how aware are you about the uh the ukrainian biolab conspiracy theory I've heard that it exists. <laughs> That's about it. Okay, so Ezra in the mailbag segment uh, basically gets a, a a viewer to mention the the biolab conspiracy, and so this is a a bit of a long clip in that Ezra also plays a discussion that takes place by with, with Mark Rubio and. Victoria Newland, I think her name is. She's, anyways. There's an exchange in Congress between these people, and he plays that, and then also gives his sort of like talk about the biolab conspiracy. So we're gonna play the full thing and then chat about it afterwards. W. T. Keaton says the biolabs are probably the biggest issue in Ukraine now. The countries with over half the world population are demanding answers. There will be a ceasefire in a week or two, but the lab issue and the investigation will be with us for years. It was very strange. I first heard about the biolabs, not from Russia, but from the Undersecretary of State in America testifying in the U.S. Congress. And it was Marco Rubio that was asking the question. I just want to show that to you for a second. Take a look. Well, um, I only have a minute left. Let me ask you. Um, does Ukraine have chemical or biological weapons? Uh, Ukraine has uh, biological research facilities, which, in fact, we are now quite concerned Russian troops, Russian forces may be seeking to uh, gain control of. So we are working with the Ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those research materials from falling into the hands of uh, Russian forces should they approach. I'm sure you're aware that the Russian propaganda groups are already putting out there all kinds of information about how they've uncovered a plot by the Ukrainians to release biological weapons in the country and with NATO's coordination. If there's a biological or chemical weapon incident or, uh, or attack inside of Ukraine, is there any doubt in your mind that 100 percent it would be the Russians that would be behind it? There is no doubt in my mind, Senator, and it is classic Russian uh, technique 
to blame on the other guy what they're planning to do themselves. That was very weird. And what's come out since, I have no idea what is in those biolabs. I have no idea if we were outsourcing, we, if the United States was outsourcing some sort of chemical weapon or bioweapons program to Ukraine. I know we've learned from Anthony Fauci's ties to the Wuhan lab that we should be extremely skeptical about these things. I don't know what the truth is, but the fact that I heard it confessed to by an undersecretary of state in America tells me there is a lot more looking into we have to do there. So just based on the statement that you heard by Newland, do you think that was a confession to something? No. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like there's research being done on viruses or bacteria or fungi or whatever else pandemics how yeah you know well (laughs) disease is capable of causing pandemics but you know yeah and so like you break open a lab like that with bombs and spew all of the research materials which can and often do include live viruses and bacteria and whatever else, then yeah, there's a risk of of a disease outbreak. Like, that's how things work. It's... Ukraine secretly has nuclear follow-creating devices, and Russia (laughs) might get them by blowing up their nuclear reactors. Like, it's literally the same shit. It's just... It's weird to me because, like, at the first week of the invasion, Ezra pretty much came out in some ways very supportive of Ukraine and anti-Putin. And since then, like, he keeps walking it back more. And, like, as soon as I heard this conspiracy theory happening about these bio labs, which, again, are biological research laboratories, uh... I was just like, this This is probably the one thing that's going to work for someone like Ezra, you know, uh, in terms of like, because of, again, the COVID conspiracy bullshit. And and he, in some way, he took it like hook, line, and sinker. Like, he's like, ooh, a confession. And like, I, like I, I don't hear it at all. Like, I think the funny thing is when she's asked about like, are, are is America using these labs to create biological weapons? Her response wasn't to say no, it was to say they're biological research facilities. In in a tone that like conveyed to me that she's like, this is a ridiculous question, you know? <laughs> uh and and you could even tell like Marco Rubio is like working with her to like point at Russia and say that they might do something. Not like mm-hmm. uh and it's just amazing that like the right this segment of the right wing has latched onto that as like evidence of like America working with Ukraine and why, why Ukraine to create some sort of like biological weapon? Like none of it makes any fucking sense. Uh, Well, according to Russia, it's to target ethnic Slavs. Well, I mean, it's interesting that Ezra didn't even mention that. Which Ukrainians also are. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, like, this is something that Ezra has brought up on his show before, that China was creating race-based bioweapons. But, like, mm-hmm. anyone with any knowledge of genetics, like, it's hard for me to even explain why that's impossible, but it's almost impossible to create race-based 
biological weapons. I don't even know how the fuck that would be done. (laughs) (laughs) The the other very funny thing about this is that similarly to how the pandemic has placed um has placed Jason Kennedy and Doug Ford and those types on the left on the like further left wing of the conservative movement in Canada Marco Rubio might end up <laughs> on the left wing well he of has the far sort of, right yeah yeah no Which, like yeah this world is fucked no it's uh it's fun times <laughs> but anyway like we're gonna touch on some more but like i I don't think that necessarily ezra is moving away from his anti-putin stance i just found it very interesting that because he doesn't beyond this he doesn't talk about the biolab conspiracies anymore he's got he's got bigger and better things to talk about i guess which is fine in many ways i prefer he not talk about ukraine at all so i'm (laughs) quite quite content with that but uh Mm -hmm. very interesting though like especially even like last week you could already see he was starting to like buy into some of the the sort of like propaganda that's being pushed out by the russian side and like buying into it a bit more and this is again just another piece of that i don't necessarily think that's going to move him towards like being pro putin and pro russia in in this conflict but it's just a uh, it's just interesting that he he seems uh, and i wonder if part of it too is like Whatever it is, like, it's, like, propaganda by, like, scattershot. That, like, eventually they hit on the thing that's appealed to the conser- or the conspiracy conservative base. Where now that they're like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe now. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Although, you know, early COVID days when he was pro-mask and COVID yeah, was real, yeah. right? Like, depends on how long the war goes. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. So now we're on Tuesday. It's the 15th. And uh, Ezra wants to talk about the election that's coming up inside of the Conservative Party since Aaron O'Toole was tossed out after the convoy blockade in Ottawa. And so Ezra's now wrapping up his coverage of the leadership election. And all he does on the Tuesday is he takes a glance at the current field of candidates and sort of gives his like take on it so i don't have any clips i guess i would just do a rundown of all the candidates that he has uh highlighted this might have been the only candidates who were running so far when he did this episode i don't know if any more have stepped into the ring but this is basically his takes on them so the first is i guess roman babber baber is running roman is or was a progressive conservative MPP until he was booted from the party because of his COVID denial stuff. Hmm. And so Ezra doesn't have much to say about him. I don't think he, I don't think Ezra feels like Roman has a chance here. I feel like he's a little low profile, but Ezra just chimes in to say that he likes them. <laughs> and he likes them because of the COVID denial shit obviously so that's roman the next is patrick brown and patrick brown uh ezra's main take on him and for those who don't know so patrick brown is the current mayor of brampton 
And he was the leader of the Progressive Conservative Party in Ontario before he left due to a scandal and then was replaced by Doug Ford. And the scandal had to do with the fact of, I guess, he was inviting what he believed to be underage girls to his house and then was giving them alcohol. I think that's all that was alleged of him. I don't think like anything beyond that, like he was sexually inappropriate with them directly was alleged, but the drinking and underage at his house was uh, a part of the allegations. Yeah. And yet he was still elected mayor. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, yes, uh, Ezra calls Patrick Brown creepy, and I would have to agree. He then... Clay, the, the interesting take, though, on the creepiness is Ezra thinks that it's actually going to be used to his advantage because he said that uh, he plays a clip of Patrick Brown on uh, announcing that he's running, saying that he fought cancel culture and won. So that is how Patrick Brown is going to spin this. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I hate these people. Oh, but that being said, Ezra still doesn't like him because there was a story way back near the beginning of the pandemic where when Brampton was completely shut down, I guess Patrick Brown was letting people into one of their public arenas for some event or something. And David Menzies went in and caught him and then was arrested. And so they, they hate Patrick Brown. Main, well, they, they already hated him because they felt like they ruined, he ruined conservative party in ontario because of his creepiness or something but then the fact is uh he then was a lockdown person but was disobeying the lockdowns and then had david menzies arrested so they hate him um to be clear they david caught him using the rink for his own private practice uh with well, like his own team you didn't specify like what the context was there you just said david the, caught the him. reason the reason why i didn't specify because it's not even clear with the video because it's not like they caught him like laced up and skating on the rink. Like he was in his business suit at the arena when David Menzies like happened upon him. Now it could have been they claimed he had a full bag of like hockey equipment and the intent was to play hockey at the arena. But I don't I'm just going to say Patrick Brown did act as if he was caught in something, but he also act like anyone does act around Menzies, which is get out of here you're annoying me. <laughs> so yeah. So, and I mean, it's not to give Patrick Brown credit here at all. It's just like, he probably was doing something shitty. It's just, uh, you know, I don't know how much I could trust trust Rebel News on this either, right? Yeah, I was just trying to provide a little bit of like, yeah. <laughs> something beyond they caught him. True. Oh, okay, and that was so. it. Yeah, there are no other details that you gave. No, I, fe I felt like, I, I thought I mentioned the arena, but like, they, yeah, they caught him using yeah. the facility in ways that like, while it was locked down to the public, uh, he was still using it in some capacity. But like, yeah, I'm not going to speculate on what that is because I don't, I don't fucking know. He was just chilling in the arena, you know, <laughs> ne needed a break, needed some <laughs> cool down time. Oh my God. So the next, uh, so... Uh, they don't like Patrick Brown, so my guess is he thinks he has zero chances. Uh, but I, and like I probably agree with him, but like, who knows? I mean, you've speculated about this on the live streams that uh, mm -hmm. 
he's been making more appeals to like religious freedoms and stuff like that and that may might yeah. play some way but like we'll have to see that how it goes. and i think of the options he's the most representative of the more like moderate wing of the conservative party so between that the religious freedoms and the cancel culture stuff if he can actually get that to to like play might get him something um like i don't know if he'll come first necessarily but i think he'll be like within the top three like i think it's between him leslin and pierre but is he more moderate than our next candidate that ezra wants to talk about with it which is a uh, jean charret <laughs> the former quebec premier who is now running to be who was a liberal quebec premier and is now running for the leadership of the conservative party and he's pretty yeah. liberal. I mean, his only Ezra's main critique is that he's just another Aaron O'Toole, and no one likes him. And that, <laughs> that is all he has to say about Shashere. Like that, and he's Quebecois. No, he's not. Yeah. Like, no chance. <laughs> yeah, but he opened up his his first uh, thing was in Alberta. His first, uh, I'm come, I'm I'm running for leadership. He did it in Alberta. That's not see? enough to trick Anglophone, Jean. <laughs> like, he also kept bringing up that he personally saved the two Michaels that were stolen by China. So, he's <laughs> I'm sorry to our precious Michaels, our lovely, wonderful Michael boys. Nobody remembers you. Nope. Like they barely even remembered them when they were kidnapped. Yeah. Or, well, I say kidnapped, like, but I'm. The media had to do, like, you know, multi-times-a-week updates on your condition (laughs) to ensure that people knew you existed. I'm sorry, but your time in the sun was in China. You're here now. You don't matter. (laughs) Like, Yeah. So then we get to the two candidates that I think Ezra is primarily backing. The first is Leslin Lewis, and he has mostly positive things to say about her, especially because she, at least compared to the other people, gives Rebel News attention by uh, appearing on their show and giving them interviews. However, I think Ezra is not going to be fully backing her. I think he's going to go for Pierre. But his, his only thing he says is that the last time she ran, she was a bit, uh, he referred to it as being unseasoned. She ha- It was her first time in the spotlight, and so she's becoming more seasoned. She has some, some extra seasoning, but she's, <laughs> I don't think he's, she's, I don't think Ezra thinks she's fully up to it yet to, to accomplish the leadership. Yeah. If uh, she were a cast iron pan, she's had the oil applied, but, you know, she hasn't spent <laughs> enough time in the oven yet. Which leaves us with the final candidate, which is uh, Papa Pierre. Pa- Our Paul Lievre. <laughs> I still probably pronounced it incorrectly, but that's fine. You you made an attempt, though, and that's that's what really matters. Thank you, Vienna. I appreciate it. We, <laughs> we, uh, so we get Pierre, and Ezra actually admits, this was something we learned on stream recently, which is that uh, Pierre helped with Ezra's first campaign as a politician. So back in 2001, I believe, Ezra ran for 
as a candidate for the Alliance uh, Party of Canada, which was... Uh, was the, I can't remember the history. The Canadian Alliance Party was like when the Reform and the Conservatives started coming together, right? It was like Canadian yeah. Reform Alliance Party. And so Ezra was running as a candidate, and he eventually had to drop out because Stephen Harper became leader, and they wanted Harper to run in the riding that Ezra was riding in. And so Ezra, after fighting them for a while, eventually stepped aside and allowed Harper to run. And then, of course, Harper won and then went on to become prime minister. Now, Ezra, when he was running as a candidate in that riding, his main campaign uh, manager or, like, communications person, someone who worked with him, was Pierre. So <laughs> Pierre and Ezra go way back. And uh, as far back as Ezra and Jason Kenny, as well, not quite. Some loves are hard to quit. All right, <laughs> but <laughs> but like it is weird how like Ezra has connections because apparently he he knew the family and grew up with the family of Stephen Harper. So he's like he's connected to Harper. He's connected to Pierre. He's connected to uh, Kenny. Like, it's such an incestuous relationship with all these fucking people. Which is gross. Jody, do you mean to imply that there's some sort of in-circle that, you know, leads people to have high-paying corporate jobs or become politicians or major journalists? That, Are you saying that in some ways the system might be biased towards certain people? That can't be true because Ezra is fighting the elites, Vienna. <laughs> I forgot. Ezra's a rebel. <laughs> so, <laughs> the main thing that he has to say that's positive about Pierre and why he thinks Pierre is going to win is because Pierre is not going to bend the knee to the media party. <laughs> One thing he doesn't bring up is, for whatever reason, Pierre is not supported by the Christian right. Most of the Christian right, they've actively come out and denounced Pierre. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, I actually think that Pierre is kind of a pretty socially conservative, but I guess they don't like the fact that he's been pragmatic on occasion. Mm-hmm. But in the same way, so was Harper. So like I, I, and yet they backed him. So like I, I don't know, I don't know. I, uh, it's gonna be interesting. But of course, the Christian conservatives well, are backing Leslie Lewis. So Harper burnt them. So they've learned their lesson. True, and I think Pierre eventually went on to to work with Harper in some capacity while he was prime minister. So yeah, he was a cabinet minister. So there you have it. Those are those are the candidate candidates. That's the rundown. Ezra then goes on as well to brag that Rebel has been doing better lately. And this is something that I've noticed, and it's kind of concerning. Concerning. And Ezra plays clips of each leadership at their sort of like speaking events when they've announced their candidacy. And Ezra was able to pose, or not Ezra, but like Rebel staff were able to pose all the candidates' questions and have them responded to in the press scrums as if it was normal. And Ezra reflects on this, and he's acknowledging that, hey, we're being treated normally again. 
And uh, yeah, I, I, I find this concerning. It, it, it Like 2017 was not that long ago when they had to fire their employee for appearing on a neo-Nazi podcast uh, after she attended a white nationalist rally. And then they got like, you know, booted, denied access to the conservative party for several years. And those gates are starting to open again. And because of this pandemic, they're, they have way more employees than they did back in 2019 when I started this podcast. Uh, and it's worrying. Mm-hmm. They should have been made so poisonous they went away forever. And yet they're still around and now they're bigger than ever. And it's worrying. Just want to put it out there. <laughs> Shit sucks. Yep. But uh, the show ends with, I, I guess, Ezra inter- interviews someone named Jer- Jeremy Lafredo, which talking about new employees. This is a new American employee. And they hired him to cover the Freedom Convoy. And he informs Ezra, Jeremy does, that the truckers are still driving around D.C., but they don't have a good media coverage because there's a war in Ukraine. <laughs> and that's pretty much all we get about the DC trucker situation. So, Hong Kong. Keep on driving around DC aimlessly. <laughs> keep on trucking with those high gasoline prices. So now we're on Wednesday. It's March 16th. And Stephen uh, Ezra hates Stephen Gilbo, obviously, but he's now the environment uh, minister. Ezra used to be able to poke fun at him because he was the heritage minister and was involved in doing, like, the uh, crafting of legislation that had to do with curbing online hate speech. And now he's been replaced as heritage minister with somebody named Pablo Rodriguez. So now Ezra wants to sort of, like, highlight Pablo as being the new person that we have to hate who's going to censor us. And the thing is, nothing happened in the segment other than the fact that Ezra gets mad at Pablo for saying we're entering year three of the pandemic, which is technically true, but Ezra's like, the pandemic is over! (laughs) There is no third year to enter into because there is no more pandemic! There is no more time. And here's the last time Ezra was saying the pandemic was over, there was like far fewer deaths a day than there is currently in Canada. Which is like, it's fucked up. Everything about this is fucked up. Woohoo. And I remember we were criticizing Ezra back then, being like, it's not over, bud. And I wish society was aware right now that it's still not over, but. Uh, We've seemed to move on from that and have accepted it and taken off our masks. So, hooray. Yippee. So then we get more Ukraine stuff because Joel Pollack is back on. And for those who who don't know, who don't listen, Joel Pollack. And I have to say, we had a tier on our Patreon, which is Joel Pollack's annoying cell phone. I have not heard his cell phone go off in the middle of an interview at all, like in his more recent appearances, which is weird to me. He's just let it, getting less phone calls lately. Yeah. <laughs> no one likes Joel anymore. Well, I mean, I've never liked yeah. Joel. And we're not going to like him anymore after this uh, segment. But Joel Pollock, he's an editor at Breitbart News. He is 
a supporter of Israel, and he's from South Africa. So those usually <laughs> indicate some of his worldviews. But he's on the talk about the Ukraine stuff, and Pollock starts by criticizing the idea of a no-fly zone, and uh, we agree with both Pollock and Ezra on this point. Not a good idea. But then he says, he says Biden is still wrong, even though he agrees with Pollock that there should be no, no flies. There should not be a no-fly zone. And he says he's wrong in how he frames it. So Joel is mad that Biden talks about how the implementation of a no-fly zone would be an escalation on the part of America, when really it is Russia who's done the escalation. So if they were to implement a no-fly zone, it would be Russia's fault. <laughs> and that's why Biden, in framing it the way that he does, is a sign of weakness. You follow? <laughs> what? See, Biden should be like, we're not doing a no-fly zone. But if we did one, it would be Russia's fault. That's what he's like saying Biden should do. But because Biden's going, we're not going to escalate this by doing a no-fly zone. That means that Biden is weak. Because that would still be an escalation. Yeah. <laughs> if you're saying if we did one, that means that there's a possibility of doing one. And that gives like everybody involved more opportunities to make things worse it's so stupid yeah they just it, it all they have to find some way to spin this to make biden look pathetic like he's so weak and old he's weak and old and that's why our enemies are taking advantage of us sure <laughs> But uh, Pollock then moves into the talk of peace because they, they, you know, if we're not implementing a no-fly zone, eventually this war has to end. I even forgot to mention earlier when the, uh, listening to the person who wrote in to Ezra when they started talking about the biolabs said this war is going to be over in two weeks. It's like... True. I, what? But anyway, so Pollock is sort of under the same impression. Like, they all seem to think it's going to end soon. And I'm not even sure, like, where this comes from. But, like, Pollock is like, I, I have a great place where these peace talks could happen. So uh, Pollock is going to tell us all about that. And you're going you're gonna to love the locale. If you look at my record on most foreign policy and military issues, I'm rather hawkish. I don't think there's a military solution to this other than to continue to hold back Russian forces so that diplomacy can reemerge. I, I think the best idea that I've heard, aside from a humanitarian airlift, would be peace talks, and peace talks perhaps in Jerusalem, because Israel is the only country that's trusted by both sides in this conflict. Israel, of course, has a close connection to Ukraine, not just because the president of Ukraine is Jewish, which is a rare enough situation in itself outside of Israel, but also because there are hundreds of thousands of Jews in Ukraine. It's one of the largest Jewish populations still existing in Europe. It has very, very extensively developed institutions, close ties to Israel, close ties to Jewish tourism. I have friends here in Los Angeles who go to Ukraine for the Jewish New Year because there are some holy sites in Ukraine. And so there's a lot of cultural connection there. And for all of that, Israel has remained neutral 
in the conflict, at least neutral militarily. They've given Ukraine humanitarian assistance, but Israel has not condemned Russia. That's because Israel has to work with Russia against Iran and against al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups in Syria, where Russia was invited in by the Obama administration, which is really responsible for this present situation in some ways. And that's the situation we have. Israel is basically pro-Ukraine sentimentally, but hasn't broken with Russia. That could allow it to be the host for peace talks in Jerusalem. Pro-Ukraine sentimentally. <laughs> There was a lot there to comment on. Like, I, the, and this is, this whole situation is really Obama's fault. Yeah. And then it, realizing what he just said, he has to backtrack and says, in some ways. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not in every way, just some of them. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> because Obama was like, let, let, who, I, he let us. Russia into Syria. Yeah. How? <laughs> well, how was he going to stop them? With a no-fly um, zone? <laughs> no, Obama should have backed Assad earlier. I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, whatever. Should have given more funding, funding and money to ISIS and Al Qaeda. That would have solved it. And it's true. Like, is why? And like, here's the thing: is I haven't kept up on all the news, so things might have changed in the last few days. But at the time when I was preparing this script, like. It was clear that Ukraine does not want to hold these talks in Israel because they're still mad at Israel for the fact that they're not sanctioning Russia at all right now. Like, mm -hmm. why? <laughs> why would they? They're like, oh, you people over the, uh, here who are still helping the people who are attacking us, that's where we should have the, uh, <laughs> the talks. That's where peace can happen. I Like, everything about this is such a silly... I, like, I don't even know why... Is it is it just because Zelensky is Jewish, like, and and Pollock's Jewish and likes Israel? Like, I don't. I mean, Israel has been trying to play mediator as well throughout the whole conflict. Like, he's made multi. Uh, the Prime Minister Bennett has been making trips between, like, Russia and Ukraine and a couple of other countries. Like this whole time, like they have been trying to play that role. Is it because um, they're trying to improve their own, like, image? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like. Considering that Russia's got really friendly ties with Syria right now, and Syria has really friendly ties with Iran, that is yeah, adjacent is, yeah, to yeah. an existential threat. So, like, yeah, they want to keep Russia on their side rather than have Russia go fully against them, too. See, I was thinking more um, of it like a, like a PR image in terms of, like, well, we're looking really bad with the whole Gaza situation, so... Let's try to appear as peace brokers while we bomb the people right beside us that were occupied. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I also kind of think that in most respects, Israel does not care what, yeah, sure. <laughs> how they're perceived True. for what they do in Gaza. Like, they know that they have enough of, like, every country's backing that it doesn't matter what the popular opinion is in that country. Um... Yeah, but also just like I love, I love the idea of holding peace talks to end an a military occupation by holding it in an area under military occupation. <laughs> Great idea. Yeah. I hope all three leaders get there, start shaking hands, and a Hamas rocket just like lands right on them.
I just, yeah. I But, like, I don't even know why he has to throw in that they support Ukraine sentimentally. Like, <laughs> I just, I love that idea. It's like, we're helping you in no way, but, like. No, they're we, sending humanitarian assistance. Sure, okay, And they've yeah. evacuated um, tens or more thousands of Ukrainian refugees uh, so that they can use them to expand West right, Bank right, settlements. Right, yeah, yeah. So, you know. They, but I mean, like, yeah. They know. I just meant, like, in, in terms of, like, yeah, what's going on over there? Oh, it's, ooh. Really, it's, it affects me sentimentally, you know? Uh, but hey, what else can we do? I, don't, I can't do anything. <laughs> hey, uh, bud. Sorry things are rough where you are yeah. right now. Sure hope they improve soon. Hey, I'm going to go talk to that guy that's making things rough for you. Have a good day. Oh, my God. Joel Pollock. So Pollock then goes on to say that sanctions against Russia are hypocritical because Biden just gave into Russia during the Iran deal talks. So I guess uh, I don't know if it's been finalized yet. There was like a process that was implemented where they were trying to get back the Iran deal that was done under Obama. And honestly, that was probably one of the better things Obama did as president out of all the things Mm -hmm. that he could have done. Uh, And so the fact that Biden wants to to reestablish that is great. But of course, uh, the right wing hates it and thinks this is like, you know, kowtowing to the evil Iranians. Uh, What happened there is actually even it's pretty weird and fucked up. Um so the negotiations to like reinstate the J- the JCPOA have been happening for I guess since whenever the fuck Biden got in power. Yeah. Um and they're basically like in the stages of wrapping up. And then the war happens, the sanctions get applied to Russia, and then Russia's like, yeah, we're not going to back the JCPOA unless um we're immune to the sanctions somehow. So I think we- um well, yeah, I guess if you want to finish up there. Yeah, no, and so Biden and, you know, the other, like, European powers involved were basically like, sure, fucking whatever, you can continue trading with Iran, I guess, in order to get this deal done. And that's, that is the, like, kowtowing to Russia. Which is which is what Joel Pollock is pointing out that is hypocritical. But I'm like, he's, like, so... I mean, like, wouldn't it have been worse to, like, give into Russia, like, accepting all the premises here that sanctions are a good idea, etc. Wouldn't it have been worse for them to all go, okay, we'll stop sanctioning you just to get the deal? When it seems easier just to go, the person you would already have a trading relationship with, you can already, you can continue it to get the deal? Like, that seems to me like a way, like, a a better deal. I don't (laughs) know. I mean, I guess, like, Pollock doesn't want the deal in the first place, because why would you make a deal with your enemy? Uh, They're evil, and they plan to destroy Israel, I guess is, like, his idea. Well. Yeah. 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 Yep, yep, yep. But, I I mean, it's just, it seems silly. Like, I, I don't think it's hypocritical. I think, you know, that is the least thing that the Biden administration could do to get this deal passed. And, uh, it's good to have this in place, and uh, cool. Get it done. Get her done. <laughs> yeah, and like, 
considering that there seems to be a like a little bit of like a rapprochement between like the u.s and some of its you know quote-unquote enemies that happen to be major oil nations like venezuela and iran you know this is a good move to get iran closer to like america's side in all of this like because when this happened and russia was like no actually we have demands now iran was like what the fuck like huh we're trying to get sanctions lifted bud like don't do this and so the u.s making sure that that doesn't happen you know like iran's gonna see that like okay russia tried to fuck shit up but yeah our boy biden yeah i mean and they're probably still on edge because like again you elect another Republican, they could pull out of the deal again. Like, th- there's, like... So, oh. no, because that's that's a main thing of the New Deal. Okay. Is that they, it cannot be withdrawn from once Ooh. it's done. Ooh. Yeah. So that's even more, like, reason to get it done is... Hell yeah, they thought You know, you have through. to get it done while Biden's in power because once it's in, it's in. You can't, like, there is no withdrawal mechanism or, like, or there's no mechanism yeah. through which Americans can then turn around and reapply international sanctions on Iran. The U.S. could still choose to do that on its own, but it wouldn't have, like, the international backing. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Mm-hmm. So I will... The last thing to say about sanctions that I think is interesting, and this is one thing that I actually kind of agree with Joel on, Joel criticizes the Biden administration in terms of their sanctions because he says, like... uh the problem is like no no sort of like uh, how do I say it? like no incentives have been laid out about the sanctioning regime. So it's not like America has stated if you pull out of Ukraine right now, we will re-establish trading relations with you, etc. Right? Like there's never been any sort of like explicit thing. So there's no incentive for like Russia to stop what it's doing based on these sanctions. And I kind of agree with him. Like it's it's almost like if if you. Like, uh, it's almost like the sanctions are being done for punishment's sake. And, like, I won't even get into the discussion about whether that's, like, justified or not. But if you want Russia to actually stop the invasion, like, wouldn't you, like, use it as a sort of incentive and go, look, if you want trade relations again, and you want your economy back again, stop the invasion. Like, but that, that seems to, like, not be on the table or at least not said out loud for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean... That is generally how the U.S. does sanctions, too. Like, you know, when they used them to crush Iraq after the Gulf War, it wasn't like they were like, oh, yeah, you know, you've already been pushed out of Kuwait, but now you just get sanctions for 10 years, and then we're going to invade you. Like, you know, there was never a, like, way to get out of it without regime change, and that's not something that sanctions help with anyways, because it just further entrenches the ruling clique because nobody else has the food to challenge them, let alone anything else. Yeah. Or the means beyond the food, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's weird. And like, I agree. That is, you know, what, one small agreement with Pollock, but uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we don't have to linger on that for too much longer because he's going to... Horseshoe theory real. Yeah. <laughs> they then end with this very weird moment. And... 
it's it's weird because like I don't I don't even understand why why any of what is gonna happen in this next clip is happening. But they want to discuss comedian Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah, again, is uh, the host of The Daily Show, which he replaced Jon Stewart when Jon Stewart left The Daily Show like a while ago. He's a comedian, and he's from South Africa. So Pollock has that in common with him, which is going to come up in this clip. But I guess Trevor Noah has a bit on his show where he kind of said... Trump would be better at dealing with this Ukraine situation than Biden is. And I think this is like, if it was meant just as a joke, I don't even find it funny, but I also don't find it accurate. But so they're going to play that clip. And so we'll, I think we either start or they're going to lead into it. But then they're going to riff about this afterwards. And the whole thing is just a bit weird. So it's it's a bit longish of a clip, but like, I don't know. Let's let's just uh, that's the setup because <laughs> there's no other way to get into it other than just play. It. There is no denying that Saudi Arabia isn't playing ball with Joe Biden. And you know what? You can say what you want, but this would have never happened to Donald Trump. Never. No one was ever ignoring Donald Trump's calls. Yeah, because if you ignored Donald Trump's calls, you didn't know how he would respond. Maybe he'd send an angry tweet. Or maybe he just like ban your country from everything. You don't know. That's why I bet in these situations, Biden actually wishes that he could hire Trump to step in as president wildcard. You know, just keep everyone on their toes. Because if Trump was calling, you best believe the UAE, they'll be racing to pick up the phone. Oh, Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, we're here. We're here. Hello? Too late, Ahmed. You made me wait two rings. We're bombing the UAE and the UFC just in case. Trevor Noah is no fan of Donald Trump, but I think he's realized that those mean tweets were actually quite powerful. And you didn't know if Trump was going to tweet at you or sanction you or lob a missile at you. Uh, and you knew that you you wouldn't catch him snoozing and he wouldn't have a seniors moment. I think that uh, I think a lot of the things that Trump predicted, high gas prices, Russian uh, imperialism, Unfortunately, he can say, I told you so a lot. And I think people who were soft-hearted realize that maybe they, they got a downgrade with Joe Biden. Last, last thoughts on that. Well, Trevor Noah comes to this country from South Africa, which is also where I'm from. And South Africa, in many ways, is a failing state today. There are portions of South Africa that are doing very well. The Western Cape, Cape Town, that region is doing very well. The rest of the country is failing. And I think what Trevor Noah understands that few Americans understand is that things can really go bad very quickly. So it's all well and good to make fun of Donald Trump when you trust that America is strong, when you can trust that America will always be safe. But once you start to see the leader of America go wobbly, if you're a South African or you come from any country that's experienced socialism and decay, you understand that these things can fall apart far more quickly than you can possibly imagine. The problem with South Africa was the socialism. <laughs> True. You know what? <laughs> Joe Pollock, South African. I wonder when he left. <laughs> I wonder why he left. It must have uh, been the socialism, it, it, not yeah, the obviously. end of apartheid. <laughs> definitely, definitely the socialism. I don't, like. I, I want to clarify. I'm not even sure when this Trevor Noah clip is from, 
because it had more to do with like uh, Middle Eastern countries. Like maybe it had something to do with negotiations around Ukraine. I'm not sure why they pulled this clip, but I guess to say like, look, look, even liberal comedians like Trevor Noah wish we had Trump in charge right now because tweets are powerful. <laughs> Like, that's, that's the thing. It's like, nothing about the joke is funny either. It's like, that isn't like Trump being like, good. If anything, that's like terrible. Like, imagine like, it's way worse if you can't even like figure out whether or not this random dude's gonna pull out of the Iran agreement, bomb something. Like, <laughs> if he's just like, you know, does nobody remember when we almost were in nuclear war because he was tweeting insults at uh, North Korea? <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe that's not a good thing to have as president. Like, I didn't, th I did not feel like we were in more control or more stable then. In fact, I, I absolutely did not. I thought that was worse, <laughs> way worse. I will give it one thing though. It was way funnier. <laughs> <laughs> In retrospect, I mean, like, living through it wasn't great. We can look back yeah, at it no, now. Yeah, I know. It really is in retrospect where it's like you look back <laughs> and it's like, God. <laughs> like, remember when... All-time tweeter. Like, <laughs> Remember, wasn't, didn't he also, like, leak the fact that they bombed something to, like, the Chinese president and was, like, bragging about it openly? But it was, like, supposed to be secret um, as well? Like, what... <laughs> There was the one time where um, there were like where he got like a a security briefing on like an installation that was supposed to be kept secret, and he asked if he could take the printed out sheet with the picture of where the installation was just to have, and they were like, "Yeah, sure, I guess." Just like, you know, you can't share it with anybody. And he immediately walked out of the room, took a picture of it with his okay. phone, and tweeted it. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> my guy. And, you know, just like the shredding every document pretty much. So, like, now they're having to, like, go out and pull it out of the shredder and, like, tape everything back into place for the presidential records no he he like he was a strong leader he oh. <laughs> kept everyone on their toes you know that's what we need is a world leader that just keeps everyone on their toes yeah what we need right now is you know as we stand on the brink of nuclear war we need a guy who's ready to push that fucking button <laughs> <laughs> we need him to do preemptive strike could you because like I don't Putin said something bad. Now, of course, like with Trump being president, that creates a whole new dynamic. But let's say Russia went along with the invasion and Trump is president. Like, could you imagine the shit show that would be happening? Oh, we would have invaded we would occupy the western half of yeah. Ukraine and <laughs> Russia would occupy the east. Dear we Lord. would be sharing, not Dear not cold Lord. warring. So that's <laughs> that's enough of Joel Pollock. <laughs> Those two, there's Ezra and Joel are just a bunch of bunch of morons in a in a pod together. So we move on to the Thursday, March seventeenth, and Ezra does an entire segment on how we need a truth and reconciliation commission about how uh, the governments responded to the pandemic in Canada. So 
<laughs> There's no clips to play. It's just a long oh, okay. extended segment. I was waiting for a clip. No, it's a long extended segment. I agree. Segment. I agree for completely different reasons. For different reasons, but... exactly. Yeah. 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 No, he thinks that it's like because we jailed too many pastors or something. We then... Because... <laughs> Sorry. I would say it's more because we had long-term care facilities locking their doors and seniors whatever the fuck the word is for dehydrating to death or starving to death in them organ keeping the parks closed during the heat wave because of the pandemic like there's so many just that those things have just been completely like oh whoops they didn't happen let's not think about them like fuck the fact that they haven't ramped up N95 production and and gave masks to people. Like, there's so many things. Why why weren't these things done at all? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but no, it's because we jailed just a few too many pastors. That's the problem. And it was just one, like, six times. <laughs> well, there was a few. There was uh, Tim Scott, I think, or Pastor Scott or something like that was another one. Uh, there's mm-hmm. There's been a few, but... Arter takes takes the reign for the most arrests for a single past. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Here's your big shiny medal. It's in the shape of a cross. We then get an interview with an old-time guest that we haven't heard from in a while. I'm not even sure that we have had an interview with him since you started being the co-host. He is a Sun, Toronto Sun reporter or columnist named Lorne Gunter. Okay? Okay, yeah. Lorne Gunter used to be like one of the guests that Ezra would have who was like Joel Pollock and would be on every week. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, the first interview that Lorne had wasn't the first. Maybe it was... I think it was like after a month in, as Ezra started to shift, uh, mm-hmm. Lauren came on praising the idea of the lockdowns and stuff like this. And then we didn't hear about him again. I think he's come on like maybe once or twice to talk about Alberta specific things, but they didn't really like, they were mostly oil and gas related, pipeline related type stories and nothing to do with the pandemic, nothing to do with any of that. In part because it's clear that Ezra and Lorne do not agree about that. <laughs> okay, Lorne, I think last time he was on, even said that he got vaccinated. So, uh, anyways, he was demoted, I guess, but now he's back on. Which leads to some interesting interactions. So, Lorne Gunter comes in hot by praising Dina Hinshaw, who was the main health person in Alberta saying that she did a good job, which, uh, <laughs> considering Ezra's beliefs, Ezra probably didn't like uh, hearing that from his friend, but uh, we do get that. And then uh, he also praises Jason Kenny, saying his only fault was that he wanted the spotlight rather than allowing the doctors to talk. He then, like, later on, like, contradicts this, but that was his first sort of, like, main point and main criticism of Kenny and how he handled the pandemic. So I guess like they're framing the talk is going to be on Kenny and how well Kenny is doing in Alberta and talks about whether he's going to be replaced before the next election or whatever. That's like why Gunter has been brought on. 
Lauren even thinks uh, it was acceptable for the government to pressure people to get vaccinated. Which, again, <laughs> very contrary to what Ezra thinks. Also and, stating that on the show? like Yeah. So Wow. So, so I will play the clip here and we'll see uh, how that goes and how Ezra responds. Life has gone on here fairly normally, uh, with the exception of the, the vaccine mandate uh, for an awful lot of people in their workplaces, which really rankled a lot of Albertans, and the vaccine passport, which did it in, indirectly did its job. The, the British government brought it in to encourage more people to go get vaccines. And I, you know, I have uh, a nephew who, no, oh, I'm not getting a vaccine. No, 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 that's silly. I'm not, I read online where that's just that poison they're putting in your arms. And, and then he couldn't get into the bar with his friends because of the vaccine passport. He said, yeah, okay, I'll get a vaccine. You know, well, so that, that's why the province did that. But Kenny did not use the forum that he has to explain that. And and he, he just looked like he, he was disappeared during the pandemic. And I think that's what's put a lot of people off. Well, I mean, your example of a nephew who, you know, may not have had a deeply thoughtful reason um, for objecting, you know, but, but, but even your example shows that it was the duress, it was the pain, the social pain, that it was not because you're protecting the world in any particular way. It was just, uh, I mean, and, and that's what I think irked me the most, if I may. It's, I think every Canadian premier made a, a host of disastrous mistakes, but it's one thing to do something medically wrong, but it's another thing to to turn uh, your your opinion into a, it, it, to weaponize it to be painful on purpose. So, <laughs> so he makes it about this idea of like, they they did these things to be painful on purpose, but that like, but they totally like misconstrues the whole point here. Like the point wasn't like it's painful on purpose, but that there's a social cost to not getting vaccinated, and getting vaccinated is for like was the ultimate purpose to prevent deaths. Like yeah, <laughs> which is totally missed out of his calculation. Like it wasn't. He then goes like Ezra then goes on to talk about how like Macron was spiteful and Trudeau was like mean to people, and so he frames it as like they did this just to like be like Ugh, to people. Like you, I'm gonna be mean to you. When it's like, granted they could have gone further, but the idea was to save lives. That was the whole point, you know. Yeah, and I did really find Ezra being like, oh, your nephew who may not have had the, the <laughs> most well-researched of reasons or whatever bullshit he said. Yeah. That was just so funny. Like, <laughs> Ezra, you are him. Like, yeah. that's, it is the same. I mean, the only difference is, like, the nephew and Ezra had the initial same emotional response. And then it's like Ezra took the time to fill it in with some bullshit. Like, that's the only difference. It's like, how do I self-justify my emotional state? I will come up with, like, conspiracy theories where the nephew was just like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> no, no, the nephew, oh, he oh, said, yeah. like, you know, was like, oh, no, they're going to put poison, poison in my me. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, he had that, too. But then it was like, oh, you know, I do kind of want to go drink it with my friends, yeah. so... <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
So, Lorne does eventually uh, uh, dip his toes into some nonsense, saying that lockdowns didn't work and that masks are basically ineffective. So I don't want to let Lorne off the hook. The clip I'm about to play, he says something about the masks. Now, we've talked about masks plenty of times on the show. And you're going to notice uh, immediately what he gets wrong here. But it's so, this is just so silly. Like, we are three years. We're in the third year of the pandemic. I know Ezra doesn't want to hear it. And yet, even, even Lorne, who's supposed to be, at least on the right, a more reasonable person reasonable person on these issues doesn't understand how masks are supposed to work. So let's hear this clip. I've seen lots and lots of studies since the, basically since the end of the Omicron wave uh, about six weeks ago, lots of studies that said that lockdowns did nothing. Yeah. If you keep, you know, keep people from, from going out and, and, and going to social events, it really does very little. And masks, well, if masks did anything, they kept you from getting the infection if you were in an enclosed public space. Uh, but it, they didn't do an awful lot uh, to, to protect us. And, you know, there was that absolutely annoying uh, motto throughout the pandemic. My mask protects you. Your mask protects me. And that's why I think in Ontario right now, you have so many people who are opposed to getting rid of the mask mandate is they've bought this hole. They've swallowed this, this notion from government experts right. that my mask protects you. So I have to keep wearing a mask if you're scared of the pandemic yeah. because it's my mask protecting you and your mask protecting No, your mask protects you. You want to wear a mask? Go ahead, wear a mask. I don't care. You know, wear 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 a tinfoil hat. I that's that's none of my concern. I I don't know why this is so hard to understand. The aerosolization of the virus is impeded when you are wearing a mask. So yes, you wearing a mask protects uh, protects other people, the people around you such that you decrease the viral load in the air by preventing the shit you're spewing out of your mouth to enter the, the air of the room. Right? <laughs> That's what yep. the saying is that he's mocking. That was the whole purpose of it. It wasn't to be like, uh, you, like, I don't even know what, it, what he was saying. Nothing he said there made sense. And then to spit it around like, uh, no, you wear it for you. It's like, no, I mean, if, if there's enough viral load in the air, your mask isn't going to do anything to protect you. The point is to reduce the amount of viral load in the air, which means we all have to wear masks to protect each other. It's the same point about vaccines. You know, we all have to do it to protect each other, to create herd immunity. If like mm -hmm. a sizable proportion of us don't get it done, then the thing still spreads. It still kills a lot of people. Like I... It, I fucking I can't stand it. Like how it, it's it's not complicated, and yet we're this far into a fucking pandemic, and still still people don't get it. And and like if you want to talk about the truth and reconciliation stuff, that should be part of it as well. Why was the government so incapable? Why were public health people so incapable of making that stick into people's heads so they understand why we're doing the things that we're doing? Yeah, no, like people are just especially like conservative types are just so incapable of understanding that 
we live in a society like that's it you know it's not just individual it is multiple you know like it's not just it's not you can't pull you can't bootstrap your way out of a virus type of thing like it requires public and social measures not individual ones but they it's like they can't even think outside of that like it of course it has to be an individual reason why else would you be doing it like that's just like that's all that exists yeah yeah no, it's 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 a uh, wild. I also should ha- comment on the fact that they said that lockdown. He's he's read studies that lockdowns don't work. I have a very like you know easy way to disprove that. Is like you go look at the data showing, look at the data showing when we lock down, and then see what happens to COVID case numbers after the lockdowns every single mm-hmm. time. That's all you need to fucking know. Like okay, it could be like correlational maybe. But then, like, give some reason why it just happened to be the case that every time we lock down, that the numbers decrease. So it's like, I don't know what fucking studies he claims to have read here, but it's pretty clear. Locking down does a really good job at lowering your case numbers. And if we did it more effectively and continued to stay locked down and really reduced our numbers, maybe we would have had fewer deaths than the close to 40,000 that we've had already in this country. Mm-hmm. It's just like uh, unbelievable, unbelievable that three three years, you know. <laughs> oh, but uh, we it's been a while since we've dipped back into the COVID stuff. But uh, Lauren, since I, he said some stupid shit, I felt like I had to say it again. I did not miss it. No, neither did I. So now we're going to talk about Jason Kenny. <laughs> Because uh, Lauren likes Kenny, uh, Ezra does not. Ezra says Kenny is behaving, uh, behaving in the like in terms of like creating the mandates and like pushing the COVID policies that he did. Ezra thinks he was behaving that way because he wants to eventually become prime minister, and so he was doing what he thinks. What or so so Kenny was doing what Kenny thinks would get him to appeal to larger amounts of people by going along with the whole COVID is real thing. That's sort of... (laughs) I mean, Ezra doesn't put it exactly that way, but that is basically what he's saying. Pure self-interest. Yeah. And I guess there's going to be an upcoming UCP convention where they're going to have a vote... Uh, on leadership this happens in in a lot of the political parties at their conventions is they usually have a a floor vote with all the people who are delegates at the convention to to determine whether or not they want to keep kenny as the leader of the party so that vote will be coming up and ezra says that he wants to replace kenny as the leader of the ucp whereas lorne wants to keep kenny because lorne says there is no one to replace kenny so he, he kind of like sidesteps a lot of Ezra's issues being like, he kind of like doesn't challenge Ezra directly. He's just like, yeah, but there's no one to replace him. So even if everything you're saying is correct, who are you going to replace him with? And, and Ezra doesn't really have a, a response to that. But, uh, but uh, you know, Kenny has fallen so far that Ezra wants him gone as leader. So that's uh, kind of interesting. Ezra will replace him. Ezra. <laughs> Dear Lord, no. I don't even Premier think Ezra of would Alberta, Ezra Levant. 
Horrifying. Horrifying. But Lorne does push back against Ezra when it comes to Arthur Pulowski. So, <laughs> so uh, let's Interesting. Just, let's, let's see how that exchange goes. Even as we're talking, Lorne, I happen to know that there's a Christian pastor in, in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he's been in... Uh, I don't know, is he in his second straight... he keeps violating order? court orders. He's got to stop violating court orders. That's yeah. the problem. Well, you know, I... there because... Mm-hmm. I, I saw Kenny uh, refer to that and saying, oh, it's just regular rule of law stuff, and he incited violence. Um, I, I watched his... I watched Arthur Pavlovsky's entire 19-minute sermon pep talk speech to the truckers. Never once did he incite violence. Oh. In fact, three no, times he said... Peaceful, always peaceful. I, I've just never seen a guy be so hounded before. So Ezra was pretty diplomatic there, but <laughs> but there's a moment where he, he had to pause and they both had to regain their composure. <laughs> he should stop just he should stop disobeying corridors. <laughs> Were they in person or was this like a online or phone interview? Uh, it's online. Yeah. Oh, okay. I would love to see them just start swinging at each other. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but Gunter's not wrong here. You know, if you want, if you want him to stay out of jail, uh, he should stop disobeying court orders. Yeah, like that's it. Oh god. So that's it. That's the end of the the Lord Gunter uh, interview. Uh, I don't know why his his name just has always inspired me to to put on that old man voice. I mean, he also has an old man voice, but uh, I don't know. It's like a rootin', tootin', shootin' Lord Gunter. <laughs> All right. So now we get to the mailbag segment, and just in terms of Ezra's trajectory on the Ukraine coverage, this is just an uh, an interesting thing to highlight. So I will play the clip. Graham French says, I didn't expect so much anti-Russia propaganda on the rebel. I actually really don't think we're engaged in anti-Russia propaganda. In fact, uh, I, I think we've spoken out against anti-Russian propaganda. I know I have, and others too. Um, but, but it's not anti-Russian propaganda to point out that Vladimir Putin was a KGB boss and that he's authoritarian and that he's imperialistic, and that he's invading another country. Now, I have done several shows on the fact that Ukraine and the West are making mistakes also, um, bringing NATO right to the border of Russia, um, doing a lot of things that I think Russia would find crowding. I've compared it to when Cuba put missiles, sorry, when the Soviet Union put missiles in Cuba, right on America's doorstep. That caused America to put an embargo around Cuba, and there was even the failed pay of pigs invasion. So I'm not unsympathetic to certain geographical security issues that Russia has, but I don't, I, that's, that doesn't mean I'm going to whitewash Vladimir Putin and a brutal war that's costing lives. So I wanted to play that only because it does highlight he is getting pushback from his audience in terms of his more critical stance towards Russia. So I wonder how that is going to play out. But he is still firm on his, like, anti-Putin stance here. So, uh, and I do, I mean, not that, like, 
I don't actually like necessarily appreciate this, but like there is a segment in which like yes, the fact that he's focusing on the fact that Ukrainians are being killed right now, I think is the operative thing to focus on, which like compared to some other people I know online and on Twitter, <laughs> that is a, a a better position to have, uh, Ezra. So I guess kudos for that, but I would I would just like to push back on the Bay of Pigs thing that he was yeah, saying. Yeah. Um, Bay of Pigs happened first before the Ar- the missile crisis, which is one thing. Like he said that it was in response <laughs> to the missile crisis. Um, also, that one was also America's fault because they put missiles in Turkey first. Yeah, like. Yeah. I mean, and like, we don't have to get into it here, but like, even the whole line about NATO, like, I know we have somewhat differing views on this, like, uh, at least slightly, but like, I I don't know. It's like, part of it is like, there's already, like, Russia already borders NATO countries, and you can say something that, like, maybe having another NATO country would be, like, the step too far, like, but then it's like, I don't know. At the same time, Russia wanted to invade Ukraine, like... Would would one more NATO country have been the, the thing? I don't know. I don't know. So it's like he does give some sort of like nod to like the Russian position, but uh, still comes out uh, against Russia. So. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, we don't have to get into it. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's like the thing is we're not going to solve geopolitics tonight. <laughs> no, but the point is that it's like it's a long process. It's yeah. never just one thing. Right. Like, right. Right. All of these things are connected. No, I can, I can at least get on board on, on that, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so that was the end of that day. We we then move on to March 18th. And again, uh, this, this bit gets into a bit of uh, transphobia and stuff, which is where we move on at the end of the week. I don't know why he has to get here, but I guess there was a story that broke that had the right wing going a little... Uh, you know they were they were having a field day with this story which was that a swimmer named Leah Thomas won a race and because she is trans and was competing against women uh because she is a trans woman that this is evidence of again trans people destroying women's sports so, of course, because the rest of the right wing are going batshit about this, Ezra had to step in and say a few things. However, he starts the day by talking about, like, okay, the pandemic is starting to wane. I guess he doesn't have all that much to say about Ukraine. So the idea is, what is Rebel going to cover next? And he says that the thing that they're going to go to next is they're going to cover what he describes as big tech media manipulation. So things like, you know, Facebook and Google and how these tech companies are like fucking around with with things, you know? And the first thing he does, like to prove that big tech is manipulating things, is to claim that like, he's like, I searched forever and just couldn't find Leah Thompson's dead name. And he's like, that should be available to me. And it's like clearly Google censorship. There's a big... Google censorship campaign to prevent me from knowing this trans person's uh, dead name. And that, to him, is like an example of uh, the evils of big tech 
manipulation. Which, whatever, bud. Whatever, dude. Yeah. <laughs> did he say dead name though? He he did not. I think okay, I think darn. I think he said original name or something uh, along those lines. I added the. It would have been interesting if he like yeah if he got the wording right. So he does he does say I think we might have a clip coming up where he does use the word dead name. So he knows what a dead name is. Interesting. Uh, but but the thing is I. I have a few clips, but I made sure, I'm pretty sure I made sure that any clips that I used did not uh, dead name Leah because Ezra did eventually find out what their name was and then decided to use it because he's an asshole. And also mm. Ezra misgenders every trans person that he talks about. So he does the same with Leah and he also dead names, of, dead names and misgenders a few other trans people that become relevant to the interview section of this program. So I've I've tried to avoid it as much as possible. Uh but if I if I somehow messed up, I'll try to like bleep it out or something. But uh it should be fine. I, I try to just get some of the arguments that get made later that are a little silly. But the interview he has is with somebody named Linda Blade, who we've talked about before. Linda is someone who co-wrote a book with Barbara Kay called Unsporting. And Rebel News actually published the book, so it was like it was their first book, not published or not written by Ezra, that was published by Rebel News. And of course, it was all about how trans people are destroying women's sports. And of course, it's always trans women destroying women's sports because trans men don't exist to to Ezra or non-binary people for that matter. But mm-hmm. uh, so in the interview. They're discussing, I guess Linda went to the race that Leah Thomas won as a protest. There was a bunch of people who went to protest her while she was swimming, which is kind of fucked up. (sighs) And uh, their basic premise is that Leah purposefully transitioned so they could compete against weaker women since she was not capable of competing against men. That's their claim. And what is not discussed is that while Leah may be winning her the current swim competition that they watched, she mm. actually doesn't hold or beat any of the records that currently exist in women's speed, like swimming. So yeah. there are women out there who have higher scores than Leah does, which means yeah. that they're just as capable as other women, you know? I, <laughs> it's just so fucking stupid. But like, they they never highlight it. Like, think about they're trying to say that like women's sports is being ruined. Why don't you highlight the the women that exist that have faster swimming scores? And and celebrate them to be like and celebrate the sport and like. But no, it's it's like they're never here to celebrate this stuff. It's always to like fearmonger that somehow women's sports is being destroyed by this occurrence. See. The easy solution is to destroy men's sports and just make <laughs> sports. sports sports no gender. We'll divide things by like weight and height class or something like that, and then yeah. boom, we're good. Agreed. I mean, this is something we've talked about before, so it's uh, <laughs> we, we are pretty much on agreement on that. Professional basketball is anti-short king. The thing, the other thing in sort of like how they set this up is like, 
the again, it's the idea that somehow Leah was not doing well competing against men, and therefore Leah was doing really well competing against men. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like they needed, like quote unquote, they needed to transition to compete against women in order to like win the stuff and get celebrated for like that they weren't getting when like like the whole scenario just doesn't make sense but then on top of that leah was undergone had undergone two years of like medical transition where she was not swimming like it like imagine like so like imagine like uh if your goal is to like win at this sport (laughs) like why would you like in some ways, self-handicap yourself in this way. Yeah. Only, and then, and like, they also never bring up the fact that it took two years to start transitioning before she was allowed to compete on the women's team. Mm-hmm. And, like, who in their right mind would do that on a lark just to, like, I don't know, get celebrated for it? Or, like, what? Like, they think that it's just, like, you, you just get to one day wake up and go, I'm a woman now and can just compete on the women's team. Like... Yeah, I don't know. Like, they also obviously, like, don't know what, like, medical transition involves in terms of, like, hormones and everything like that and how that affects, like, your muscle mass, your bone density, um, fat distribution. Like, it changes kind of your whole bodily situation. And so by the time, like... If she's been on, like, HRT and everything for two years, then, like, her body is going to be carrying itself differently than before she started HRT, too. So it's like, you know, that's learning to exist in a new body, almost. For a singular medal that's not Olympics, (laughs) not world records, Not anything like a national competition was yeah, it? NCAA, I don't even know. I think it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Like, huh? Yeah. Her her scores, I think, were better pre uh, trans or pre uh, medical transition as well. Uh, yeah. Although, yeah, no, although that... I believe she's catching like back up, but again, it wasn't. It wasn't just the transitioning. It was the. Uh, the, the lack of being able to like like there was things that she couldn't do while engaging in the process for two years you know uh, mm-hmm. anyways the, I, the fact that they fixate it's it's one of these like it's one of these stupid things where it's like if they're going to compete with if trans women are competing with women because they are women and women if, if we're going to have gendered sports women should all participate with each other then there are going to be trans women who win because they're on par with women. But it's like their logic is that any trans woman who wins somehow discredits the entire thing. So it's like they can't win. <laughs> but if like if they can compete, eventually they'll win. So it's like they, the way they get to frame this, the right wing automatically comes ahead because any time a trans woman wins, it's evidence that they're overpowered but then again that completely ignores all the other trans women who aren't winning competitions uh it's just such a stupid fucking thing yeah so then ezra uh 
gets even says some more stupid shit. He he praises Caitlyn Jenner for transitioning once they were done playing sports, saying they used their transness as a shield, not a sword. <sighs> I I guess because like since they did it afterwards, they weren't trying to like compete against women or something like this. I, I guess is the argument. And I have to say, like, Ezra does misgender Caitlyn and does dead name Caitlyn. But he does it in a way that's, like, different than how he does it to other people. So he would use he or she rather than just the misgender. Which I thought was, like, kind of interesting just as, like, a sociological fact about how he's doing this. Because it's mm-hmm. like, oh, Caitlyn is a Republican trans woman. So therefore, I will give them just a modicum. <laughs> I don't think it's respectful at all. But I think in his head, he's like, I'll give them just a tiny little bit of respect. In comparison to how I treat every other trans person. By giving even the possibility that they could be the gender that they, they feel they are. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid but like i hate ezra uh so now we get to some of the the clips that i could use that are more arguments so ezra admits he is dead naming and misgendering on purpose and he says that it can get you kicked off twitter but then asks linda that like where did this all come from and linda says something really weird Really, really weird. So here it goes. If misgendering is a sin on Twitter and it should not be abided, why is Leah Thomas supposed to be on there at all in the women's uh, show being shown swinging with women? Because as far as I'm concerned, the moment a male bodied person, a male person competes with women or goes into the women's category, that person has just misgendered all the women in that group. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I guess, like, she's trying to see the mere existence of trans people misgenders everyone. Like, I I have no fucking clue. Yeah, some along those lines. Like... It's just like their their transphobia is so stupid. Like you don't have to do this. It's much easier just to like <laughs> you don't have to play these like word games and semantic games. You could just treat people like people. It's like very easy. Very, very easy. Yeah. So then uh it's just so dumb. It is dumb. The next thing Ezra says is that it's in our genes to be repulsed by men hitting women. And I, I will play the clip only so you can hear how he frames this. And then we can get to why this is a very, very silly argument. There are transgender athletes in every sport, including the ones with physical contact. And maybe the reasons those aren't as quite as celebrated in the media is because there's something very deep within us, I think even genetically, probably over the course of thousands of generations, to see a man physically pummeling a woman generates a sense of disgust and rage and and sympathy 
there's tons of of trans women that participate in uh various martial arts or wrestling or even boxing probably like these these things exist but it, they are just women hitting women but then on top of that it's like this idea that that would be somehow genetic when it's like domestic abuse has been like was normalized for like fucking ever like <laughs> not like it's it's not a laughing matter it's just like for him to to claim that somehow there would be some sort of like genetic repulsion to this when it was normalized in society to like hit women for 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 centuries almost is kind of like well, uh, like i don't know messed up i mean he's well, jody there's been thousands of generations since the 1970s we <laughs> well, yeah the 19 we've had enough time since the 1970s for us to genetically uh adapt to to being repulsed by it yeah that's there were thousands of generations in between jody so like there's been time and why do we, we need, have evolved why do we need genes to be repulsed by it can't you just be repulsed by it <laughs> intellectually repulsed by it <laughs> No, Jody scientists, they went into the human genome and they saw those little swirly DNA guys and they were able to pinpoint the one that codes for the repulsion protein um, that gets that only gets made when somebody is seeing another person hit a woman. Isn't morally speaking like what we care about like agency? Like if you make it about the gene, like then our repulse like isn't it better then to like moderate that repulsion in that like I think we should accept trans women as women, but if we accept trans women as women, then it's like okay, we can moderate that repulsion by using our agency to override this genetic thing. But he like the way he's framing it, he's just like it's an ingrained part of us and we can never change it. <laughs> so it's like, what? So we're just biological automatons. Then why are you talking to us, Ezra? I just can't help but think you're a fucking idiot because of my genetics. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> there we go. You got your answer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hate these people so much. So this is this is the last one. So. And I left it for last because out of all the claims, I think this is the most fucking insane thing that he said. Uh, but he thinks that the Soviets should cheat in the future at future <laughs> Olympic events by having all their men compete as women. So, <laughs> You know, when I was a kid, a uh, very young age, I remember the Olympics, there was always questions, well, were the East German women's teams were they you know they were they actually men were they on steroids etc there was a everyone knew there was some shenanigans afoot we naturally knew there was some trickery and unsportsmanlike and and you know it was we all knew instinctively it was cheating if only they were <laughs> 40 years later um they would just be running all the east east german and soviet men and the west would invite them to come and and cheat it's 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 very depressing <laughs> it's very depressing he so this claim struck me as bizarre i was like what is, what is he talking about these east 
German thing, and I'm like, okay, so I started searching. The only thing that I can come up with what he's trying to argue was that there was a case uh, in in the past, I think it was like in during one of the, the Olympics, when East Germany was a, a country participating at the Olympics, where it was a, it was more a doping scandal. So what they found was that a lot of the women were taking steroids. But not only were they taking steroids, but they were taking steroids without their consent. So the Stasi was literally doping these people without telling them that they were doping them. And this sort of like came out later. But there was this one interesting case where one of the the women, uh, or I should say one of the people on the women's team, was someone who eventually transitioned into being a man, or who was a man at the time, but like didn't fully know it yet or whatever. Uh, Yeah. But was also doped without their consent. But that became an issue where people were like, this... Like back then with the transphobia that exists, that this woman looks manly, right? And that's because they Mm -hmm. were transitioning, right? Yeah. But they were forced to compete on the women's team, even though they looked manly. You know, like, okay, then shouldn't we have the manly people compete with the other men? Like, even at the bottom of that story is a case where, like, I don't know, maybe people should should play, if we're going to have gendered sports at all, why not have the people who identify with that gender compete with with that gender? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's so fucking stupid. At every level of this, it is so stupid. But it's... it's really and truly. It is the thing that they have latched on to, so. If the Soviet bloc had survived, yeah. we would all be transing sports. And that person, by the way, the the athlete is Andreas uh, Krieger, and uh, he as well was. Uh, again, they they were given steroids without their consent, which is kind of fucked up. Yeah, kind of really fucked up. Which should be the, the like the thing to point out and highlight about that story, you know. <laughs> but. Uh, there you go apparently the soviets in the future are just gonna <laughs> that'll that'll be putin's immediate thing after um if he wins the war in ukraine listen russians are never competing in the olympics again <laughs> no because they'll be the soviet union jody <laughs> It's by William Morris. Um, he's mostly known for his like art, uh, but he was also um, what could be considered the first English Marxist, um, although he's often more remembered in anarchist circles today. Um, kind of weird like history in term of, terms of his like remembrance. Um, but cool dude wrote good things um, and particularly about like 
the need for art under socialism. Um, yeah, so this article is basically like a quick thing of like critiquing art under capitalism and then going into like how all productive human activities should be art under socialism. You know, it should be a thing which is loved being done and which produces lovely results. Um, you know, like, you shouldn't be doing things that are dull, and you shouldn't be creating things that are dull either. Um, and you shouldn't be creating things in a way that makes the natural world dull and destroyed either. Um, which, you know, you can really feel in his writings because he was writing in, like, the Victorian era when, and in England when, like, all of the rivers were poison and all of the cities were, like, slums and just like shacks um yeah no he's a surprisingly like good writer considering how little he's remembered for it um and it's a pretty short essay so you know give it a a quick read that makes sense to me too like i know uh like there's i think a lot of people like think that like you know if you get rid of capitalism there'd be no incentive to do like the kind of like manual labor required for like creating enough food for everyone or like you know th these are the kind of arguments that people like levy about but like there's a ton of like enjoyment that you can get out of the, the sake of manual labor for the sake of doing it and like mm -hmm. appreciating not only the work but like the final accomplishment of doing it or whatever that like is way more satisfying than being forced to do it for a paycheck and repetitively doing it over and over again for the rest of your life you know uh so I 100% I agree with that sentiment. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, if you support and enjoy the labor that we do and what you've heard so far, <laughs> please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a Discord set up. We do Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find videos on our YouTube channel and you can find all the links in the show notes of this episode. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gml.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thank you for listening. And mask mandates may be canceled, but you should probably still wear them. Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields?